Good morning, Summit Bible Church. That was an enthusiastic good morning. Thanks, kids. It's going to be a bummer when uh, the kids' classrooms start up again. We won't have that kind of enthusiasm, that kind of gusto in the morning. Let's hope that's not the same, adults. No, it's a joy to have the kids with us. Make sure you're filling out those outlines. Hint, hint, next week might be, probably will be, the week you want to turn those things in because there will be a little treat, a little prize for the kids. For the kids, Jimmy. <laughs> for the kids. So, good job, kids. You're doing a great job in this service, and we're looking forward to bringing those kids' classrooms back, child care back on June 20th. Something to look forward to. Michelle's clapping her hands, yes. My wife is too. But it is a, it's a joy to be here as a church family this morning. Don't touch the barbecue. It's hot, says I to my daughter, my four-year-old daughter, as she's playing in the backyard and I'm grilling. Yes, daddy, says she in response to my warning. But you'll probably guess what happens next. Like E.T. pointing home. She puts her finger up as I'm not looking and touches the barbecue. Ah! Screams. Ten minutes. A little blister develops on her finger. And I just asked her, I said, what were you thinking? Why did you do exactly what I asked you not to do? I warned you. Right? And you parents know this is a conversation that's had many times with your children. But then I began to think, are we any different? Are we any different in our walk with the Lord? We have in the scriptures clear commands, negative commands, warnings. Do not blank. And yet, what do we do? We often just deliberately disobey. What are we thinking? Why do we do exactly what God has asked us not to do? He warned us, didn't he? Why don't you open your scriptures, open your copy of the scriptures to Ephesians chapter 4. We see in this text today such a warning. A warning, a negative command, do not. And in, unfortunately, it's a command we often neglect. It's a warning we neglect. So Ephesians 4, and we're looking at verses 17 to 19 this morning. Ephesians 4, 17 to 19. Paul, in the book of Ephesians here, gives us a negative command, a negative exhortation, that is to not do something. And then he goes a step further. Paul actually gives us a behind the scenes, an inside look into the mind of the sinner. And let me just warn you, it's not a pretty place. It's not a very glamorous, attractive place. In fact, the mind of the sinner, as you all know, is pretty filthy. It's pretty bad in there. Sin has obviously 
brought our minds to total corruption. And Paul shows us inside the evil mind today. So it's a tough message to swallow, but one we need to be reminded of. Those of us who, of us who are saved and in Christ, we need to be reminded of who we were and how we used to think. And also, sternly warned, don't go back there. That's what Paul's going to say. But maybe there's some of you in the audience today, there could be, that don't know Christ. And actually what Paul describes today is the reality of your life right now, and it's the way that you think right now. And so I encourage you to listen to the words of Scripture, to heed the warning, and to turn around, which is just a very simple way to describe the biblical word repentance. Repent. Turn around. Don't walk this way. But instead, trust Christ and walk the way of Christ. So, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 to 19. Kids, first little blank in your outline, don't walk this way. Don't walk this way. This is a warning, a negative command from the scriptures. Don't walk this way. Look at Ephesians 4, 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you now asking you to show us by your word the way that we must not go. Lord, warn us this morning. God, warn us through your word about what we should not do. We need your warnings, Lord. We need your guidance. We need your word to help us in our lives. And God, to guide us in the way that we ought to go, but also constantly, regularly, we need reminders, warnings about where we should not go. God, I just pray for myself and for the people here, Summit Bible Church, that we would heed your warnings from the scriptures, that we would obey your commands, that we would live in such a way that honors Christ, that grows to become more like Christ, that follows Jesus. Help us to do that today. In Jesus' name, amen. Very good. Point number one. I warned you. I warned you. Life is full of warnings that we do not heed. Some warnings we ignore. My brother and sister-in-law were at a beach in Carpinteria recently, and they were telling me that they went up to the beach, and there was a sign on the beach warning the public of recent shark sightings. Recent shark sightings. What does my brother and sister-in-law do? They ignore that warning. And they go into the water and they swim for 15, 20 minutes. Now when they came out of the water, a shark enthusiast walked over to them. He had a camera drone in his hand. 
And he told them, he said, did you know that there was a great white shark, an eight foot great white shark swimming right next to you in the water? And they said, no. And he said, well, did you see the sign? Life is full of warnings that we do not heed. This is a strong warning from the scriptures. We may not see it just reading the English, but in the Greek, it's very clear. And this is one that we ought to heed. This is one that we ought to respond to. Paul uses two words. You'll see them in the English as he says, now this I say and testify. The two Greek words are lego and marturomai. I say and I testify. This is a solemn declaration. See, in Roman times, in the Roman Empire, you'd be familiar with lego coming from uh, authoritative addresses. This might come from the mouth and the pen of Caesar himself. Lego, I say, I declare. This is an important warning, in other words. Paul goes one step further to not only say, I say, and I testify. Look at the little phrase after that. I say and testify in the Lord. So this is not just Paul's warning. This is a warning from the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul, speaking on the Lord's behalf as his mouthpiece, says, don't ignore this. This is not a suggestion. It's a continuation of Paul's exhortation that came at the beginning of chapter 4. Do you remember verse 1? He positively urged the people to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. That was the positive. So walk this way. Now Paul's about to say, but don't walk that way. Do not walk like the Gentiles. Now it's important for us to be reminded of what it means to walk. Paul's not talking about, you know, taking a stroll through the park or walking around your neighborhood. This is figurative language talking about the way of your life. Your walk is the way that you live. Your lifestyle, in other words. And so when he says not to walk like the Gentiles, he says don't live the way they live. And by the way, your lifestyle encompasses a lot of things, not just the outer walk, but the inner desires. It includes the motives that drive you, the thoughts that define you, the words that disclose you, the actions that display you. Your whole life, from your thoughts to your actions, is not to look like the Gentiles. That's the stern warning we get here from this passage. Now, what does Paul mean? What does Paul mean by like the Gentiles? You remember in chapters two and three, we talked a lot about the Gentiles, didn't we? There's two references when this Greek word is used, ethnos or ethne, two references that the Apostle Paul could be referring to. On the one hand, Gentiles could be referring to all of those ethnicities outside of Israel. So if you are not an Israelite or a Jew, then you are an ethne, you are of other nations. That's the one reference. Now on the other hand, the other reference that this word refers to is paganism. That is outside religions, outside of Judeo-Christianity. 
And so we have those two references. We have literal ethnicities and then we have a reference to paganism. Now we have to understand what's Paul talking about in this passage? Is he saying don't live like those Egyptians? Don't live like those Greeks? Don't live like those Asians? No, that's not what Paul's saying there because He's not talking about the culture of the ethnicity here because remember, if you look inside of the context, chapters two and three, we talked about how God saves some from every nation, tongue, right, and ethnicity. So we are one in Christ. We are united, reconciled to each other, whether Greek, Jew, barbarian, Scythian, slave, whatever, whatever background you have, culture, we are united in Christ. So Paul's not referring here to ethnicities outside of Christ. Paul is talking about the way of the pagan. That is, any and all outside of faith in Jesus Christ. He's saying don't live like a pagan. Don't live like a pagan does. Don't worship like a pagan. Now, what is a pagan? What is a pagan? What do they look like? And what is their lifestyle like? I'd like us to see this from the scriptures. Turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter one. This is the life of the pagan. Romans chapter one. It provides a pretty thorough picture of their lifestyle and it shows the digressing nature of it. Romans chapter one is a downward spiral of paganism. It shows where they start and where they end up if they do not repent and turn to Christ. So Romans 1, 18, we're gonna start in verse 18 and just read through this section of scripture to just, I want you to notice how bad it gets, and how it digresses. And notice where it starts, too. Notice where it starts. Romans 1.18, this is the life of the pagan. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. There's the pagan. The ungodly and the unrighteous. Look at verse 19. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power, his divine nature, has been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For, and here's the digression. Although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, exchanging the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, animals, and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever, amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. 
And then the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. In that one verse, you have the start and the finish. Verse 28, since they did not see fit to acknowledge God. It starts with denying God. Denying submission to him, denying his word, denying who he is, and where does it end? With a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness. Where does all this come from? It comes here. Unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness, they are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents. Thought I might pause there. Foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless, though they know God's righteous decree, they know his word, that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. There it is. That is the lifestyle of the pagan. And what you'll see and you'll notice is that really this describes every person outside of Christ. This even describes the religious person. The person who may come to church may read their Bible, but they don't truly surrender to Jesus. They don't submit their life to God's word. This also included in this list, we have the inventors of evil. We've got people like the serial killers and worse described in this list. And so it paints a very broad picture of what the pagan does and how he lives his life. And where does it start? It starts with denying God's word. It starts with rejection of God. It starts with unrighteousness, ungodliness. And so don't think for a second that you're excused from this or you were excused from this or this doesn't describe you. We, all of us, at some point, maybe not as far down the road, but all of us at some point were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were all pagans, pagans with this kind of mindset. And so... Don't consider yourself exempt from this, but just remember who you were, Christian. Paul describes who we were and how we used to think. And if it weren't for the saving grace of Jesus Christ, you might still be here today. You would have maybe been further down the slope. And so Paul warns us, don't live like the pagan. It is a digression, and it just gets worse and worse. So we looked a little bit at their lifestyle and we saw the stern warning in Ephesians 4. This is how you are not to live. This is how you are not to walk. Don't walk this way. Number two, Paul gives us a look inside the evil mind. Inside the evil mind. Paul doesn't say so much about what they do, but he does give us a pretty clear description of how they think. Inside the evil mind. There's a growing fascination. You'll see it all over Netflix. 
going inside the evil mind. They want to go inside the mind of the serial killer, the psychopath, or other evil people. And psychologists want to plunge in their minds for answer to questions like, why did they do it? What motivates this kind of erratic behavior? How does somebody get to this point? Nurture or nature? Are there patterns? Are there traceable genetic defects? Millions of dollars later, plenty of documentaries and TV series made going inside the mind. Listen, the Bible gives us the answer. The Bible, God's word, shows us inside the mind of the pagan. We don't need a documentary, a TV series, or to hear the world's theories about how the sinner's mind works. God shows us by his word. And God shows us it's, it's much worse than we think. The sinner's mind is given over in such a way it is much worse than we think. I mean, look at this. Look at this text here, start 17b. The futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Due to their hardness of heart, they have become callous. John Stott says this is, a, this is a, again another digression. You have hardness that leads to darkening. Then you have darkening that leads to deadness, and deadness that leads to recklessness. So the recklessness is described in verse 19. But I see five characteristics here. I'm just following the, um, the participles. Uh, five characteristics of the pagan's mind. And when we talk about the mind, I just want to note that we're talking about the inner being. Okay, uh, we believe that there are the, the person is made of two parts. You have the inner being and then you have the outer being. The outer is your flesh, the things you do, the things you say, and then you have the inner being that motivates that. You can think of the inner being as the master control center for your life. Everything you say or the things you do are just outward manifestations of your heart's motive. And it's said another way, the inner being is the engine that drives your car. And here in this passage, Paul lifts the hood on the sinner's car and he shows us five reasons that the car is not working. Five reasons. Have you ever wondered, why does my unbelieving son or my unbelieving daughter do what they do? Why? How could they not see? Haven't I trained them up in the way of the Lord? Haven't I given them biblical instruction? Why do they do what they do? Paul's about to tell us why. Have you ever, you know, seen the destruction and on the news and you see horrible things happening, like mass shootings and worse, and you think, it's just like the world, how could somebody get to that point? Why would they do such an evil and corrupt thing? The Apostle Paul tells us how and why. These are the five reasons that the pagan, those separate from Christ, do what they do. Number one, Futile, futile, in the futility of their minds. Futility simply means emptiness or, or worthlessness. 
You know, it's not so much that there's no, nothing going on between their ears. You're like, what's going on between their ears? What, are there no brain cells firing, all right, synapses connecting? They might be educated. They might be critical thinkers. Often what's kind of interesting to note is that a lot of these really evil people are, in fact, very smart. They're very smart, savvy. Again, educated, critical thinkers, high-minded, rationalists, philosophers, but the Bible says their accumulation of worldly knowledge is vanity. It's worthless. It is empty. Romans 1, 21 affirms this fact. They became futile in their thinking. Solomon writes of the vanity of wisdom in Ecclesiastes. He notes a very simple reality. It's something we often overthink. He notes in Ecclesiastes chapter two, hey, really smart people die and really foolish people die. Are we all, aren't we all the same? It's all vanity, especially earthly or worldly wisdom. Now you gotta understand, this would have been a shot to the heart for the Greeks, okay? We're talking about a Greco-Roman culture here, the context when this passage was written, for a Greek or a Greco-Roman to hear that their thinking is futile, that is a grave offense. We're talking about the high-minded people of the day. They were the tip of the rationalistic spear. They prided themselves in their philosophy. Knowledge was indeed power for the Greeks and the Romans. And it was of the utmost value. Nothing more valuable than being educated. And what does Paul say? Yeah, your earthly education is futile without Christ. Worthless. Worthless in the end. The second characteristic is darkened. Darkened. So we have futile and darkened. The text says in verse 18, they are darkened in their understanding. Again, Romans 1.21, parallel says they are, their foolish hearts were darkened. In other words, their reasoning was clouded. Their reasoning was clouded. One of the scariest experiences of my life happened not very far from here. It was driving up uh, the mountain to Lake Arrowhead. We were going up there for a youth camp. I was driving a full car of teenagers. Okay, my wife in the passenger seat, I think, or one of our youth staff, I don't know. She's looking at me weird, so she probably wasn't there. And she's like, wait a minute, the scariest moment of your life? I should have been there. Um, this is one of the scariest moments of my life because I was driving up the mountain at dusk, and it was very foggy, very foggy. It was a winter camp, so icy road conditions and dense, dense fog. I'm not exaggerating when I say I could not see past the hood of my car 10 feet and I'm driving this car full of teenagers. On one side, a cliff, sheer drop off. On the other side, a rock wall, right? You've driven up the mountains. It's a scary experience. By God's grace, we made it. That's why I'm here today. But if it were not for that bright yellow line in the road, okay, and driving at about five miles per hour, seriously, I would not have made it. I would have <laughs> driven right off the cliff because I could not see my vision was clouded, and that is the case for the mind of the pagan. For those who don't know Christ, you have to understand their vision is clouded spiritually. They don't see clearly. 
And what is it clouded by? What darkens their mind? Well, of course it is sin. Sin does that. How could, you could think, how could a godly man like David, the man after God's own heart, digress in a matter of minutes? You read it, it's two chapters apart, the covenant of David and then his sin with Bathsheba, and you just think, how could he commit this sin? How could he go from watching Bathsheba on the rooftop, committing adultery, and then giving her husband over to murder, just like that? Answer, sin. Sin clouds the mind. Why would Eve in the garden risk everything good that God gave her for a piece of fruit? Why? Because sin clouds the mind. Why did the prodigal son leave his loving and wealthy father sprawling estate? Why did he squander all of his inheritance and end up a beggar eating out of a pigsty? Well, sin clouds your mind. Sin makes us S-T-U-P-I-D. I didn't say the word because of the children. Sin darkens the mind. It clouds our judgment. It quickly disorients us. Right is left, left is right. One poor decision after the other. And then there's the poorest decision that leads to the consequence. It's as easy and quick as that. That's what sin does. It clouds our judgment, makes us do very foolish things. I mean, it is a miracle that anybody survives to the age of 30 considering our natural state. It's a miracle. It's God's grace. It's like, you know, running across the 15 freeway in the middle of rush hour blindfolded. That's our lives. I mean, we're hanging by the skin of our teeth whatever the phrase is. It's because sin has blinded us, sin has clouded us, that we make poor and foolish decisions. This is a characteristic that we can't ignore. And this is who we are. This is who we were without Jesus. But it is what the light of Jesus Christ that drives our dark away. It is because of Christ that, Christian, you can see clearly It's not because of anything smart that you did. It's not because of a good decision you made. It's because of Jesus Christ, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that his light shone into your darkened heart and gave you clarity, illuminated your mind to understand who you are and who God is. That is a miracle. That's the grace of God. The third characteristic of the pagan mind is that they are alienated. They are alienated from the life of God. You see that in the verse 18, alienated from the life of God. In other words, they are separate from the life of God. As we saw in chapter 2, verse 1, they are dead in their trespasses and sins. That means they are utterly unable. They're unresponsive. Can a dead person make themselves alive? No, they cannot. They're separated. They live in a different world ruled by a different king. And so I ask the question, why are we surprised when evil people do evil things? Why does that surprise us? Why does terrorism surprise us? Why does it surprise us when we see nations at war, politicians vying for power by any means necessary? When we see a mass shooting, 
Things like child trafficking, abortion. Oh, these are horrible things. And we should not, I'm not saying that we should be desensitized toward them. They should hurt us, hurt our hearts, because they hurt the heart of God. We should never become complacent. But what else did you expect from a debased mind? A mind that is separate from God, alienated completely. They are dead to God, and as far as their mind is concerned, God is dead to them. They have no basis for their morality. We hope by God's common grace that they abide by some rules. But how could they abide by any without God and without Jesus? They're aliens. And this is, friends, the truly the, truly the most horrific reality. To be alienated from the life of God. This is a horrific reality. To be separate from the life of God is to be under the wrath of God. Do you remember us reading that in Romans 1? They are under the wrath of God. God gave them over to a debased mind and so on and so forth. The reality is, is you're either a friend of God or you're his enemy. And so you're either in his life or under his wrath. And given over to death, and not just physical death, but eternal death and hell forever. We know that every act of terrorism, every murder, every indecent act, every lie, every abortion, every act of disobedience to our parents will be judged. And it will either be judged in the sacrificial work of Jesus Christ. He either took that for us, or if you would not repent of your sins and do not believe in Jesus for salvation, sinner, you will be judged for those sins because God is just and his wrath burns every day, the Psalms tells us. That is a terrifying thing. And so listen, if you're out there today and you don't know Jesus Christ, you don't have a relationship with him, repent. The reality is your mind, you are alienated from God. You need the word of God to come into your heart and awaken you and to provide that clarity. That's what I prayed for this morning, that the gospel would pierce your heart and awaken you and enliven you to the reality of who Jesus is and that you would repent from this way of life and turn to Jesus Christ. I pray that you would do that today. Jesus Christ is the only savior. Jesus Christ is the only light. He is the only person that can change your mind. So turn to him today. The fourth characteristic is ignorance. It just gets worse and worse. It says, because of the ignorance that is in them. Paul exposes the folly of the pagan's mind. It is folly. It is ignorant. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, Romans 1 says. Romans, uh, Psalm 14 says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. Some say ignorance is bliss. In this case, ignorance is a diss. Okay, you're in bad shape. It is, uh, it is a diss to be called ignorant. Especially when you consider this context. Again, Greco-Roman culture, human knowledge is the idol. Everybody wants to know more. And so to be called a fool or to be called ignorant was a grave, defense, or a grave offense. 
The mind without Christ is truly foolish. It is ignorant. What else do we expect? Number five, the fifth characteristic as we move along here is calloused. Calloused. Lastly, due to their hardness of hearts. Verse 19, they have become callous. Callous. This word callous, hardness, is just to become desensitized. Can you feel this? No. Can you feel this? No. Can you feel this? No, says my dentist, right? (laughs) Just making sure that lidocaine really took, right? And I always tell my dentists and doctors, listen, I am, I am, I got a strong will against anesthetics. I need a lot to put me under. And so I remind them, make sure you give me a proper dosage because I'm a heavyweight when it comes to that stuff. And I don't want to be awake when you're pulling out my teeth or when you are taking out my appendix. That didn't happen. I, well, I did get my appendix removed, but I was asleep. I was definitely asleep. Listen, over time, a sinner becomes truly numb, desensitized to the common painful effects of sin. They're numb to the, to the pain it causes their own life, They become numb to the pain it causes others in life. They're desensitized to the guilt, the shame, the sympathy, even a second thought. This is what sin does over time. It it provides calluses. I have calluses on my hands. Hard uh, skin. And it's probably from working out back in my high school days, and they've just developed over time. Um, but when I started, these were blood blisters. The skin would easily break and bleed after every workout, and it was painful. But over time, with enough rubbing and friction, I have calluses now, and they don't break so easily. That's the description of the heart of the pagan. They're callous towards sin. They're desensitized toward its effects. It doesn't affect them anymore. They don't think twice about it. And you, you will recall, because we've all lived the sinner's life, you will recall when sin was painful. You remember the guilt and the shame that followed the first look at an explicit image. Or the first time you talked back to your parents. Or the first lie that you told. Or the first time you lashed out in anger towards someone. It hurt. You felt it. And it was supposed to feel that way. That, that is the natural consequence of sin. But over time, giving over to the sin again and again, like the skin, the heart becomes hard. Now there's no guilt or shame when looking at explicit images or telling lies is second nature now. You don't feel bad at all about the person you lash out in anger, out, out, out in anger. This is just what sin does. It calluses the heart. And so you get finally to a point of committing sin and not feeling it at all. That's a dangerous, dangerous place to be. That is a, very, that is a place very far from God. Matthew 13, 15, this is what happened to the people of Israel 
Jesus says, for this people's heart has grown dull. Isaiah says, they have ears, but they can't hear. They have eyes, but they can't see. They become desensitized, calloused toward the word of God. The question is, have you? Is this you? Are you calloused in your sin? If so, repent. Turn to Jesus. I read a story this week. Man, I had to look at it. The headline was, Oregon man kills his sister-in-law in fight over laundry. Allegedly, Alexandra Arb Bloodgood, interesting last name, was shot in the back of the head by her brother-in-law because he and her husband Jordan had an argument over laundry duty. So Shane Fennell walked over with his pistol and shot Alexandra Arb Bloodgood. An innocent bystander, not even in the conversation. And when he was arrested, he said, I did a horrible thing. Yeah. Yeah, why did you do that? What were you thinking? How does an argument over laundry get to the point of, of bloodshed? Oh, oh yeah, that's right. It's the sinner's mind. Given over time and time and time again to sin. And that is what sin does. Gets worse and worse. It is only God's grace. Only God's grace that some people don't get this bad. How, what else should we expect when the evil mind is futile, it's darkened, it's alienated, it's ignorant, and it's callous? That is what's inside the mind, inside the sinner's mind. Look at point number three, last point. What comes out of the evil mind? We'll wrap up here. Ephesians 4.19 tells us what comes out, they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Paul uses general terms here for sexual immorality. It encompasses all forms, even the bottom of the barrel type sins. It's the same end that we saw in Romans 1. It just gets worse and worse. They're given over to dishonorable passions Men and women start exchanging natural desires and actions for the unnatural. Not only practicing these things, but giving hearty approval to others who practice them. Welcome to the 21st century. This is very descriptive of our culture today. A culture that has been given over to this type of sin. Now for the sake of the kids, I'm not going to list out the specific and explicit sins. You know what they are. You know what they are. Various kinds of sensual indecencies. But what else do we expect? What else can we expect from those given over to sin in such way? If they are futile in their thinking, if they are ignorant, if their hearts are callous, then of course they're going to do the things that God has forbid them from doing. They're going to do exactly what God designed them not to do. And when we see this kind of filth, we see this filth around us Christians and we see it in the culture, it's at this point that Christians can become very judgmental and we can think to ourselves, well, I never went that far. 
I didn't do all of those things. God, you could almost say like the Pharisee, God, I thank thee that I'm not like that man or that woman who went way too far in their sins. That's the wrong mindset. That's the wrong mentality. It is wrong for you to look and see, well, I'm better than that because of anything good in you. No, 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 it's God's grace that kept you from this. It is God's grace that saved you out of a pathway that went down to this. This is who you were, Christian. Such were some of you, 1 Corinthians 6 says, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. The only difference between you and the pagan is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. This is how you are not to walk, not as the Gentiles do. And look at, look at how he said it, you must no longer walk. The implication is this, well, you once did. This is who you were, or this is who you would have been if it were not for Jesus Christ. So Christian, when we see inside the mind of the pagan, when we see exhortations like this, two things, Christian, for you, Christian. Number one is don't become judgmental and prideful and think you're better than this. This is who you would have been. Number two, remember who you were and do not go back. Do not go back. Do not go back to this way of thinking. Do not go back to these sins that describe the former you and does not describe who you are now in Jesus Christ. Christian, two things. Do not become proud or judgmental. And the second thing is do not go back. Do not go back to this way of thinking. I suppose a third thing would be to have sympathy and compassion for those who think this way and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to them. Show them the light that will provide clarity to their darkness or in the midst of their darkness. Non-Christian, those of you who don't know Christ, the way without Christ is a slippery slope. That gets worse and worse and worse. You might think to yourself, I'm not that bad. I'm not that bad. I haven't done those kinds of things. Well, the, You're on that same path. And the end of that path, as we saw in Ephesians 2, it ends in wrath. You are given over and you are Children of wrath, Ephesians 2 says. Dead in your trespasses and sin. Alienated from God. Separate. Non-Christian, if you don't know Christ today, turn to Jesus. Turn to Jesus, the only hope, the light, the truth, the way, the life. Jesus Christ, who came to this earth, lived the perfect life you could not live. He died on the cross in your place, and he rose again from the dead, victorious over sin and death. Trust in him today. Trust in him completely. Christian, be reminded again, you need him. You needed him and you still need him today. You need his grace. You need his mercy. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Jesus Christ is the only Savior. And we trust in him completely. And because of him, we will not walk this way. Let me close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for this clear warning today in Scripture.
Again, Lord, I ask that you'd prevent all of us from walking this way, from giving over our minds to corruption, and then from keep us, Lord, from doing those indecent things that are against your design, that are indecent, God, and they do not describe or characterize the Christian life. Help us to turn from sin and follow Jesus, to grow to become like Jesus, to grow in holiness, to put off the old and put on the new, as we will see next week, Lord. Be with us. We trust you. We need you as we live the Christian life. We need your grace. We need your mercy more desperately each day. Help us, Lord. Be with us. We love you and we trust you. In Jesus' name, amen.